This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Lovely Tuesday, March seventh, with you all now. Um, if you want to call in eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. Also, wanted to let you know that there is a big Team Buck announcement that'll be coming tomorrow about uh, the future of the Freedom Hut. So I'll definitely want you to please tune in for that. And uh, there's going to be a whole lot for us to be talking about. Uh, But first, on to the news. I didn't get a chance yesterday because it it really broke uh, after the show or towards the very end of the show to get into the, the travel ban. This is a fascinating exercise in... Orwellian language, or rather the the use of politics through the choice of language, the implementation of politics through language choice. So whether you call this an executive order or you call it a Muslim ban, whether you call this a restriction on travel or you call this a travel ban is almost entirely and purely a function of where you are in the political spectrum. And you can see this from the different news outlets and the way they write about this and how they cover it. You got the New York Times headline on this was Trump issues a travel ban altered to stand up in court. And then the Wall Street Journal, which is on the right, of course, president, although not very pro-Trump in a number of respects and certainly not on immigration. The Wall Street Journal writes President Trump signs revised executive order restricting travel to the U.S. So, it's is it a travel restriction or is this a travel ban or a Muslim ban? Um, this is all fascinating to me because the way this is played out is, is very predictable, meaning that the media has done everything they can to polarize this and to make this um, not an exercise in national security, but an exercise in virtue signaling, an exercise in, well, if you're a good person, you want to help refugees, and you are not going to be in favor of Trump's travel ban here. If you're a bad person, 
you're going to uh, want to help Trump. Now, a few things to note here about this this ban and and the or sorry, see, I it even it happens. You read travel ban or you read Muslim ban enough, and you start to use the language that they want you to use. Uh, and already, of course, the New York Times, Trump's new Muslim ban is still illegal. Is the editorial they had on the front page yesterday? Uh, but I let me get into the changes here. So as you know, this went through the courts and it was, there was a, a ban put on the ban, a stay put on the ban by three judges in the Ninth Circuit out West in the Court of Appeals, Ninth Circuit. And then there was also, there were a number of other judges who ruled on this, including a federal judge in Boston who said, look, I don't like this, but it's totally within the executive branch's purview to do it. And then there was Judge Brinkema in Virginia. And I've been saying this certainly on Buck Saxon with America now, the night show. I've been mentioning how that Brinkema ruling was much more important than people realize. We had a little bit of travel ban coverage fatigue, and the Brinkema ruling in Virginia comes out, and it says just explicitly, Trump, this is, Trump doesn't like Muslims because of what he said on the campaign. This is about discriminating against Muslims. It's a violation of the First Amendment. Can't, can't be allowed to stand. So, And that was based not on anything in the law, but on the judge's perception of Trump based on campaign rhetoric and other statements out there that had nothing to do with the text of the law. So while this is being tailored to address the concerns of the Ninth Circuit panel, the three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit, understand that there will still be enormous progressive resistance to it. The Democrats are still going to say that it's terrible and racist and unnecessary. And the judges will find, I think, some ground they're going to force this as an issue of religious discrimination Um, and what we'll eventually get into is some version of a disparate impact argument disparate impact being that even if you say even if you have a law that is not on its face uh, discriminatory if the effect is discriminatory then the law should be null and void it's a terrible legal uh, terrible legal doctrine it is uh, really uh, mindless and undermines the rule of law entirety, entirely uh, because there are any number of crimes you could point to that will have a disparate impact. You know, you could say there's gender discrimination in sexual assault law. Um, of, they, of course, they do say that and then it's against women. But I mean, there's gender discrimination in terms of who's prosecuted because a vast majority of uh, sexual assault uh, perpetrators are men. So there's a disparate impact. Well, that's just because more men are committing sexual assault overall. It's not because the, there's a gender bias in the law. It's just the law says you can't assault somebody sexually, and more men do that than women overall. So you can see that this, this would have, and, and once you apply this to all kinds of different laws, you'll see that there is, there's endless meddling that the left can do, the ACLU and others can do on this, and so they like it, but it's really a nonsensical legal doctrine uh, because it, it then just says... We don't like we don't like what this says about a certain group or we don't like the outcome of having this otherwise sensible law in place. So therefore, we want to undermine the whole basis of the law. And with terrorism laws, of course, uh, specifically anything that's intended to address, this is where the profiling issue with terrorists comes up and others. Yeah, there's going to be more Muslims affected by this than non-Muslims. That's because a disproportionate amount of Muslims commit acts of international and jihad, I mean, of course, jihadist terror, uh, international terrorism, meaning terrorist acts all over the world, uh, including here at home in America. It's just disproportionately Muslim. doesn't mean it's entirely Muslim, and certainly doesn't mean all Muslims are bad or do this stuff. And 
that we have to keep running over those same talking points actually just shows you the power of the left to influence the discussion because it's such a huge leap to say we want to focus on radical Islamic terrorism and how to stop it to you hate all Muslims that to constantly feel like you have to say, well, I'm not saying Muslims are bad. I'm just saying we want to stop the very small subset of Muslims that engage in this violent, destabilizing and strategically threatening to our existence behavior that you have to always stop with the preface is is in and of itself evidence of the inroads that the left has made into controlling this discussion before you've even had it, which I think is a very, uh, very troubling. So moving back to this, uh, moving back to this piece. So Trump, the executive order takes Iraq off the list and they say it's because the Iraqi government, first, we have a lot of allies in Iraq. We're fighting ISIS there. Uh, We've got Iraqi interpreters and others that were affected by the initial ban. So this takes them off the list. So you don't have to worry about them anymore. So now it's just six countries uh, Iran, Libya, Sudan, Somalia, Yemen, Syria. I did that from memory. I think I got them all. Nice work, Buck. And it is not permanent for any of them, including Syria. That's a change. It is a um, limitation for 100, or sorry, for uh, 90 days, but exempts travelers who already hold valid visas. Um, and there are other changes to this as well. As I said, Syrians are not permanently banned. The new order suspends the admission of refugees to the U.S. for 120 days, caps the annual total admission of refugees at 50,000. No refugees for 120 days, no more than 50,000 refugees overall. Uh, and you just go through this. And, and what they did is they made a good faith effort to address the concerns that were established in the judicial rulings that held that this was a due process violation or Uh, really a violation on a a number of ways, but due process being the most prominent one of the Ninth Circuit's version of these events. Now we see, now we're going to see what the response to this, of course, is. And they're already, the the mechanisms have been mobilized to thwart this via lawsuits, you know, all special interest groups. The, The ACLU calls this a new Muslim ban. So it's just a new version of a Muslim ban. It's not a Muslim ban. It even pull it even pulls out of the original text the protections that were intended in there for Christians, largely, not entirely, saying that if you're a religious minority in a country, you will be prioritized for the purposes of uh, refugee status. They didn't even like that, so they, they got rid of that. That's no longer a part of this uh, because they didn't want it to seem like they were. They didn't want to give. The courts, who are, of course, going to look at this, and I, and I believe will challenge this one as well, uh, because it's already been established. Trump hates Muslims, the courts believe. Therefore, anything he does that affects Muslims is born of bigotry, not of trying to protect our national security. That's not an exaggeration. That's what some courts have uh, more or less officially stated as their positions on this. So we'll have to see how they try to overturn this or how the challenges are, are worded. Um, but this time around, what I think people will see, and this is what I find to be the most politically, the most uh, central theme with all of this, is that the prog- progressive Democrat left in this country is going to show that once again, they're willing to subvert the law to be lawless, to go to the mat, to go all in for non-U.S. citizen uh, Muslim countries. That's for non-U.S. citizens from Muslim countries. 
the left will go to the mat and they will they will do damage to our legal system. They will do damage to the authority of the executive branch. They will do damage in a number of ways because they're so set on extending themselves for the for Muslim non-citizens, which you know they, they don't seem to extend this same desire to help people from any number of other countries. But when it comes to Muslim non-citizens, foreign non-citizen uh, Muslims, the left has a very uh, a very obvious soft spot, and that soft spot is so profound that they are willing to do things that are harmful to the system of law we have in place that is there to protect all Americans. Uh, they're willing to undermine and uh, belittle and demean our, our our current administration, the president of this country. Yes, he is their president too, whether they like it or not. And they might, and this is where I wanted to transition next, also be willing to endanger our security. You see, if I sat down with a lawyer, say from the ACLU, and he said that this is an issue of what is right for non-citizens, which I have to say, non-citizens, in my opinion, have no right to travel to America. They come to America at our with our approval, with the approval of the American government and representative of as representatives of the people in this country. No, no foreigner has a right to come to America. I do not believe that that is the case. I believe I think the ACLU and other leftist groups and the Democrat Party certainly do seem to believe that. But I start from that premise, which I suppose they reject, but then I'd like to know, well, what other rights do non-citizens have in this country? Do non-citizens have a right to welfare? Do non-citizens have a right to Medicaid? Do non-citizens have a right to vote? I mean, if America affects the rest of the world so much, maybe everybody should get to vote. Anyone who wants to vote in the American election should. Now, I know they'd say, oh, Buck, that's ridiculous. You're, but Why? Based on their premise that that you have a right as a as a Yemeni uh, would be visitor to this country, for example, you have a right to come here and, and, and any effort to slow you down or tell you that you can't come for a while is born of bigotry. Indonesian Muslims, Saudi Muslims, let me go down the list, Moroccan Muslims, they can all come here. No problem with no change, at least based on what Trump has done. But we're told this is a Muslim ban. This is obviously sloppy on their part, but I don't even think it's sloppy. I think it's intentionally dishonest. So it's not that they're making a mistake. It's that they don't care that a mistake is being made. There's a difference there. And uh, they extend rights to non-citizens. Another part of this that I think deserves our attention is many on the left, clearly many Democrats, seem to believe that if we if we are going to be an, a decent and just people in this country, we need to be willing to take in non-citizens at the risk of the lives and safety and security of U.S. citizens. And this is what they can't understand. This is what they don't teach at you know, Johns Hopkins International School of Advanced, you know, School of Advanced International Studies, SICE. They don't teach us at SEPA, Columbia University School of International Public Affairs. They don't teach us at Georgetown's Walsh School of Foreign Service. They don't teach us at Foggy Bottom 101 when you're learning to become a State Department officer. No, no. This is what they don't teach you. But a lot of Americans just know instinctually this is how they feel. And it's the following. If not allowing uh, thousands of refugees from Syria to come to America 
as as much as we sympathize with Syrian refugees who have a lot of other places that they have gone and can go, by the way, not America is not the only place that we take in a million people legally a year, every year in this country. We need to stop letting ourselves be bullied into thinking that we're not already by far the most generous country in the world when it comes to making more permanent residents and even making more citizens. No one else even comes close. But the truth here is that the Democrat Party and the left seems willing to say that we have such an obligation to take in refugees from Syria, for example, that if it means that there's a mass casualty attack on U.S. soil, either directed by or inspired by the Islamic State, we will take that risk. And Americans on the other side of the spectrum, conservatives, the right, traditionalists, you know, I don't know, you go down the line, Republicans, they hear this and they say, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we are not in some sort of charitable suicide pact here. Uh, we do not have to allow in thousands of refugees, even if there's a, a, an uncomfortable likelihood of a terror attack from bringing in thousands and thousands of refugees. We have a right as a country, as a sovereign nation, to say no. That's a risk we just do not want to take. And this is what the left doesn't understand. This is where it all falls apart for them. This is where all the, the, the divide is really exposed. Because they think that it is racist and wrong and mean for the American people to make a decision that privileges their security and their survival over humanitarian concerns. That's what this, a lot of this really just boils down to that. Uh, the other stuff about, oh, the due process ability for people to come here, that's all just, that's all noise. It's that they do not believe that the calculation should be in favor of U.S. citizen security. Not, I'm not talking about a tie goes to the runner situation. I'm talking about, you know, if it's one in a hundred chance that one of these Syrian refugees could uh, or would go shoot up a mall, and we don't have to bring them in. I think a lot of Americans are like, you know what? I, I don't want to take that risk. I don't care. We've already got plenty of people from all over the world here. We take in plenty year in and year out. We don't need the additional risk given what's happening with the Islamic State, given what's happening. So you have that. But by the way, the way this will be challenged perhaps in court, I think, will be that it's racist. That's part one. And part two, it doesn't work. It's not effective. So now you've got Democrats that are more or less saying our judgment, if that happens, our judgment is more important on this matter than the commander-in-chief's. And, oh, by the way, also, we get to determine what is effective national security policy in the courts, not the executive branch, which really should force a constitutional crisis, or it might. Um, it will create one, I believe. All right. Got to hit a break here, team. Much more coming. 888 uh, I'll be right back. Let your voice be heard. Hello. 888-900-3393. On the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. 
a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Team, welcome back. Our sponsor this hour is SilencerShop.com. SilencerShop is simply the place to go, the number one spot for you to go find a silencer for your firearm. They've got all the top brands. They have fantastic prices. In fact, your local dealer will set the price and make the profit. So Silencer Shop is also excellent at the paperwork aspects of all this. They'll make sure that you get through that process as quickly as possible. And once you're through and clear to get a silencer, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. It's a fantastic accessory for your firearm, and Silencer Shop is simply the place to go. They've got a great selection, great prices, excellent customer service. So once you've tried it out, you're going to be like, I wish i gotten a silencer years ago. Trust me. Go to silencershop.com. Again, that is silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Um, also, please uh, download my podcast for Buck Saxon with America Now. Go on iTunes. Type in Buck Saxon with America Now. You can click subscribe. That is the night show, the nationally syndicated show, 6 to 9 Eastern. Uh, do tune in tonight live if you can, but certainly all of you listening, Team Buck, I ask, I humbly request you subscribe to that podcast and uh, more info and details on all that coming up soon. i uh, got to hit a break here. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Continuing our discussion of security, national security, terrorism, and uh, immigration policy. Uh, more specifically, immigration policy related to Trump's executive order and the so-called travel ban or Muslim ban or you know whatever it is that we are uh, being told to call it today. Here's a, there's something very significant has happened here um, in the way that information is given to us in the previous administration well first let me give you the information and then i'll get into why i think this is so significant i'm getting a little ahead of myself pardon me for that team here's a story from fox news yesterday hundreds of people admitted to the united states as refugees are the subjects of fbi counterterrorism investigations involving isis including some individuals from countries cited on president trump's revised travel ban Trump's order, which was announced late Monday morning, temporarily bans travel to those with valid visas. Blah, blah, you know about that. Nearly a third, (laughs) it's very professional book, blah, 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 you know about that. Nearly a third of the 1,000 FBI domestic terrorism cases, 300 in total, 
involve those admitted to the U.S. as refugees, a Department of Homeland Security official said Monday. That number was confirmed later in the day by Attorney General Jeff Sessions during a news conference. Officials said some of the 300 came to infiltrate the U.S., while others were radicalized once they were in the country. Uh, Okay. So, um, isn't that interesting? Let me just say that this is an instance where we see that this information about the FBI and its counterterrorism investigations, which we should be allowed to know because the American people should be informed and then vote for people and and support people in power who make the decisions that reflect their values and, and their own judgment on these matters. But we have to be informed about what's going on. The reality, I think, quite clearly in all this is that uh, if this were still the Obama administration, we wouldn't we wouldn't know about any of this. We wouldn't be we wouldn't be told about any of this. We, we wouldn't know those numbers that 300, about a third of all terrorism cases in the United States under investigation right now involve refugees. Um, involve those admitted to the U.S. as refugees is the specific language used here. So, okay, now let's let's unpack this for a minute. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> Again, jumping around. What I wanted to make sure we all note is that that's a huge difference, by the way, that we have access to that information now. I'm telling you, if this were Obama, we would not know that. We would not be told that because it's not useful to the administration narrative. Now we get to know. Now we get to know when we talk about illegal immigrants and the illegal immigrant communities. We're going to be told what is the, what is the reality of criminality because the government's going to start counting and they're going to start telling us, that, which they have not wanted to do up to this point. And I think any rational, reasonable person might be willing to stand up for a second and ask, well, why is that? Why do they not want to tell us? Why do we not get to have a uh, honest and forthright conversation about that? You know, if the government's lying to us, there's usually a reason for it. So that is a very important uh, and very big change. I just wanted to note that. Um, and, and then when you move on from there, I know what the left would say in response to this. Or at least I think I know. And I probably know. They would say, well, um, there's no, just because they're on investigation doesn't mean that they've been involved in an attack. And the response to that, and see, this is where this goes, and this is why people don't trust, don't trust the media on this stuff, don't believe them, don't want to hear about it. The response to this would be, okay, hold on a second. So you're telling me that because there's not a, an attack in this population of refugees that's currently under investigation, never mind previous attacks that involved either refugees or the children of refugees, i.e. Boston Marathon bomber, Pulse nightclub shooter, those are first generation uh, radicalized Americans, but they radicalized from refugee uh, with refugee parents. And, you know, there's there, there are, we're allowed to look at that connection and say, well, hold on a second. I mean, is this is there a, a correlation between these uh, situations? All right. But if they're going to tell us that because there's no specific terror attack that has happened in this population, we shouldn't look at it. We also get to say, well, we don't want to spend even more resources are very overwhelmed counterterrorism, especially counterterrorism surveillance resources, chasing around people that should be so thankful to be in this country in the first place. You see, refugees, this is what the left doesn't understand. Refugees should be the most trusted population in this country 
in terms of security and, and uh, you know, because they should be so thoroughly vetted on the one hand and they should be so grateful to be here. These are people that, they're, you know, look, a lot, there are a lot of Americans and they you know, tend to vote Democrat who are born in this country. They have U.S. citizenship. They don't really, they don't really think it's that big a deal. They don't really care. They don't feel grateful. Some of the best Americans I've met are those who were taken in uh, taken in by this country, fleeing either their families or they themselves, fleeing a totalitarian regime because they really love and appreciate this place. You know, you, you speak to former uh, people who lived in former communist states or you speak to people who fled the Khmer Rouge you sp- in Cambodia. You speak to people who... And, and they, lo- they, they talk about freedom and they, they tear up. I mean, they understand what this means. They understand rule of law. They understand legal immigration. They understand an orderly process. And they also understand the debt of gratitude that they have to this country and its people. That we would be admitting refugees and there would be any concerns that they are involved in terrorism is completely unacceptable and is a scandal. And that the media would turn around and say to us, oh, well, maybe this is just signs of Islamophobia. No, I don't think the FBI is just bigoted. And so they're tracking refugees who happen to be Muslim all over the country. By the way, I mean, if we're talking about terrorism investigations, does anyone want to take a guess? I mean, this would be the really interesting data of the 300 uh, immigration uh, or sorry, 300 refugee cases that currently are under surveillance by the FBI. Would anyone want to guess what percentage of them were Muslim? I mean, I'm just putting it out there. I don't know, but I think we all know that it's probably pretty high, um, which uh, now, uh, you know what? And I'm not going to do the whole, it doesn't mean all Muslim, it do, you know, because we all know that. All right. But it does mean that uh, clearly there is more than Islamophobia at work here because it's not like they're just following Muslims at random. There are some Muslim refugees that they have concerns over. Um, anyway, so you look at this. The, this is very interesting information for them. Of course, the administration released it right with this executive order to bolster its case. But unless you think that they're lying and the FBI is lying, um, then we should know this. This is very relevant information for us given the reality of this whole process and the procedures that they're trying to put in place. Um, but it, it will not budge the left one bit on this. They think that America is, or that the Republican Party and the Donald Trump administration is a bunch of racists. Uh, it's bad people. They don't like Muslims. That's all this is about. It's not about safety and security. And they will ignore this data. They'll ignore these numbers. It'll change the discussion with them. Not one bit. And we'll hear from them. Oh, well, there's never been a refugee involved in terrorism. False. Then you'll do a quick Google search because you'll see people that have big platforms, pay a lot of money, fancy media people. And you'll see them and they'll say, OK, well, fine. There have been a couple of investigations. There have been a couple of arrests of, of people involved in this stuff, but not that many. And you say, well, there should be zero. Uh, the number of people overall in this country who are involved in 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 lethal terrorist plotting is infinitesimal when you consider we have 320 million people in this country. But the number of Muslim refugees that have come close to terrorism, have been involved in terrorism, and by the way, once you start counting disrupted plots, which I always tell you, you have to count the disrupted plots because that's like saying, well, 
just because they don't kill a bunch of people, they're not a threat. Well, no, if, if good work by the FBI or DHS or whomever prevents a terrorist attack from happening, it doesn't mean the threat isn't very real. It just means we got lucky and there was good work done. And it also should be taken into account, just as I said, that the resources that are being brought to bear to surveil these 300 people, these 300 refugees, the FBI's got to look at it. those. Res- we, we, we shouldn't have to spend those resources. And the resources that we spend on TSA, airport security, and all these other things that are out there currently, where we're just writing, the taxpayers writing big checks, spending a whole lot of money because we're trying to stop jihadist terrorism from happening in this country. We shouldn't have to spend that money. Now, I know that you know saying we shouldn't have to doesn't mean anything because we're going to have to for a while, but I do think it is worth pointing out that we don't need to add to that tab by bringing in people that are going to be a concern. And, you know, this is, there is a, there's decades of programming, of, of psychological programming and really psychological warfare the left has been waging against the American people with regard to the immigration discussion overall and with regard to terrorism. And we're finally confronting it in a way that is meaningful. And on the issue of terrorism specifically, you know, they're, they're, they've burned so much credibility the same way that you can't that the left can't just say, oh, trust us, we're journalists, because no person who pays attention would accept that explanation anymore. Uh, on issues related to terrorism and jihadism, you can't trust them there either. You can't trust them. They've been, they've been denying the obvious on this and downplaying and engaged in all of this uh, whiny social justice victimology on behalf of the global Muslim community for so many years, and we're all so sick of it. And it's it's become, I think, finally clear to most Americans, not even just Republicans, I mean most Americans, I mean a, a strong majority of Americans, see that when CNN and, and you know and MSNBC and NBC and these other news outlets, New York Times, Washington Post. When in, the, when the immediate aftermath of a terrorist attack, they say, let's not jump to conclusions. And then their next breath about who did it, of course, and what their motivations are. Even though we've got like a video of a guy running around yelling Allahu Akbar with a scimitar in his hand and an AK-47 in the other shooting people saying, which one of you is Christian? I want to kill them in the name of Allah. It's like, whoa, let's not jump to any conclusions here, America. That's what they say. And then the next thing is you know, they'll write, they'll run stories about how the real threat is Islamophobia, and there'll be some report of a woman somewhere in the country who says that she was stared at rudely because she was wearing a hijab, and this is now, you know. And, and if it's more than that, by the way, if it's that someone actually laid hands on her or said something mean to a, a Muslim guy and, and pushed him or something, there's a very good chance we find out that it's false. And after we find out it's false, the media either loses interest in it entirely, that it's a hoax, hate crime, the media loses interest in it entirely, or uh, they say that, well, this is just evidence of how the vulnerability that Muslim Americans feel is so profound that they feel the, obli- they feel the need to make up these stories to raise awareness. So they're just running in this unreality, this non-reality loop, this loop of, of this bizarro alternate universe that they get to live in, where they're, it doesn't matter what the facts are, they're always right, and that's just what they do. Um, but on this uh, investigation of the refugees, a very interesting, very interesting piece, very interesting stories. Uh, team, we are going to hit a break here. 888 900 
I'll be back in just a few. Stay with me. Buck Sexton will be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to you. I know everybody wants to get to the bottom of the Trump allegation about wiretapping and, and Obama and the administration. I certainly do. And I do. I also really appreciate the work of Judicial Watch in trying to use FOIA and, and lawsuits to get access to information that the government generally uh, is slow to or just straight up doesn't want to uh, share with us. Um, but and I, and I know Judicial Watch has sued CIA, DOJ, and Treasury for records relating to the uh, Flynn leaks, but I doubt they're going to get anything here. The real exception to FOIA uh, is national security. And what's so interesting about the way this whole discussion about Trump and Obama and the leaks and all the rest of it, um, all of it comes together under the broad the areas of broad discretion that the government has when it comes specifically to investigating national security issues right when it comes to national security you all of a sudden get into a place where the government is able to say sorry foia doesn't apply you know sorry don't want to hear what your concerns are here i mean there's any any number of of, of issues that you know I, I think as we as we see it continue to play out you get a real understanding that, oh, okay, they can hide behind the national security exception. And also when it comes to possible wiretapping or Pfizer or any of those other issues that we've spent a lot of time on the last couple of days and has been dominating the news cycle, the commander, the former commander in chief Obama has a tremendous amount of latitude and discretion. So I just want to, for those of us who want answers and I want answers and look, if the answers look bad for Trump, I'll be I'll be upset, and I'll we'll talk about what that means and what we do about that. But I doubt they will be, because why would the New York Times be reporting on a counterintelligence investigation, which seems to be code word for FISA or you know alluding to FISA in January? No one says a word about it, but it looks bad for Trump and his people. And now we're being told, oh well, that was just that was reporting from multiple U.S. officials that was all a lie. I don't buy it. But efforts to use FOIA, just to bring us back here to the initial uh, initial news peg, efforts to use FOIA to get to the bottom of this, it's worth doing. And we got to, you know, you got to have people out there that are trying, but this is going to get hidden deep, deep, deep in the so-called uh, deep state, my friends. All right, hitting a break here. I'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, 